I would submit my life to him and receive his forgiveness and become a Christian. Um, it was at the end of a season of kind of seeking God. I, I'd got into trouble or uh, I'd managed to get other people into trouble um, and I started to feel sort of challenged and guilty about that, feeling the direction that my life was going in was not a good direction. It's like my last year at high school and uh, a couple of years previous to that I'd got into trouble and stuff and, and I'd just begun to, to pray really. Wasn't brought up in a Christian home, wasn't taken to church, anything like that. I just started to pray because I thought that would be a good idea. So I started to pray for a while and I've got to be honest with you, not a lot changed. I stayed the same, I still had the same issues going on, I still had the same struggles going on, so I thought I need to, I need to raise the uh, doing something about this level. And so I started to read the Bible. I was given a Gideon's Bible at school, I'd taken it home, stuck it on a shelf and ignored it. But I decided that praying wasn't really getting me that far, so I'd start to read the Bible. I hadn't talked to anybody about God at this stage, I'd not attended church, I'd not asked any questions. I was just trying to work out, how does someone's life change? How do you change the trajectory of your life? Because I could see if it kept going the way it was going, it wasn't going to a good place. And so I started to read the Bible. And at first, that helped because I, I looked at the things at the back of a Gideon's Bible and said, if you're thinking this, read this. And so I would do that. And then I just began to read. I just thought, let's just read this. Let's just think about this. And I... Uh, I remember coming across one verse where Jesus said, if you have caused someone else to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest sea. And I'm thinking, I am in such big trouble. And I can remember I would go out for walks to try and clear my head. And I'd come home as a, you know, you know a lad who goes to the football, plays football, has loads of mates, enjoys music. Just a normal lad. But I'd come home in tears thinking, there is a God. He is real. He is powerful. I don't know him. And I don't know how to know him. And if I die in this state, I'm approaching the age of 16. If I die in this state, what's going to happen? We don't know what God the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives. When you meet someone, when your life intersects with theirs, God is already at work. We are not the only people through whom God moves. God is at work by his spirit in people's lives now. And you might meet them this week and intersect with them and suddenly you become a conduit through which the spirit moves and God speaks. But God is already at work because he is the sovereign Lord. And we love people, but hey, God loves them even more. And we want to take good news to people, but God wants to get the good news to to them even more. And so at that stage in my life, I'm struggling with all of this. I remember my mum, who I didn't know at the time, I knew my mum, but I didn't know at the time that she was a backslidden Christian. Who knew? She'd responded to Jesus in her late teens, early 20s, but had stopped going to church. But she could see what was happening to me. And so she contacted my uncle, who was a Christian, is still a Christian, and said, would you come and speak to him? So he came to speak to me. And I remember sitting in a living room and being told that Jesus died on the cross for me. 
that Jesus rose from the dead so that I could be forgiven and given a fresh start in life. Being told that my sins that were weighing so heavily upon me had been paid for and I didn't need to pay. I could be completely, utterly forgiven if I came to Jesus. I've got to be honest with you, it sounded too good to be true. Honestly did. I thought, do I just need to do a bit of something to deal with this? And he's like, nothing. Just come to Jesus, tell him you're sorry, receive him into your life by his spirit and live for him. So I prayed this prayer and some people say that suddenly the grass became greener and the sky became bluer. They were overwhelmed with an amazing sense of the nearness of God. I prayed this prayer and felt nothing. I mean nothing. I just knew I'd prayed a prayer that I meant. And I had doubts and I had concerns and I had fears. And so I started reading the Bible again, which I thought was the good thing to do. And I had these doubts and these struggles. But what I found was as I went to scripture, as I talked to people who followed Jesus, it it took me a while to connect properly with church because that wasn't my background. But I started meeting with Christians in a home and asking questions of the scripture. And it began to dawn on me. And then I remember being in another living room, and again, my uncle speaking to me, because I, I, was, I was around his house like every day asking, I've just read this, what does that mean? I've just read that, what does that mean? And he, he talked to me. I became a Christian in the October. In the January, he said to me, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he talked about this overwhelming experience of the Spirit of God filling, empowering, transforming people. I thought, I need that. And so he said, would you like me to pray with you here and now? It wasn't at the end of a big meeting. It wasn't any great build-up or emotional hype. It was just me and someone else sat in the living room. Would you like me to pray with you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. So we prayed, and I sensed the nearness of God. I sensed the power and the presence of God. It was as if I'd moved from a little black and white portable TV to ultra HD TV. Everything became clear, focused. Suddenly, it made sense. And so he's saying to me, has anything happened? And I'm saying, yes. But nothing outwardly. I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't prophesy. I didn't fall over. I just sat on his chair. And I don't think he was convinced that anything would happen. He was like, really? (laughs) Really? And so I walked home. I watched Last of the Summer Wine. And I went to bed. And I remember praying in bed, thanking God for his presence. And I began to pray in tongues. And I thought, what is that? Because I'd never heard anyone pray in tongues. The first time I'd heard anybody speak in tongues, I was doing it. Figure that out. And so I'm thinking, what? So I stopped. I thought, the best thing to do here is stop. So I stopped and I went to sleep. And then I woke up in the night. And there's just this sense of the nearness of God in my bedroom. And I begin to pray again. And there's just a flow of speaking in tongues now. 
And I went back to my uncle and he helped me process that and find a biblical framework for that. And then in the June, I was baptized in water because I then heard that I need to publicly declare my faith and believe and be baptized. Again, the first baptism service I saw, I was being baptized at. I didn't need to go and check it out. I didn't need to go and watch somebody else. I didn't need to be cajoled into it. I didn't need someone to put me under pressure. It was just simply this. Anything I thought God was asking me to do, that's exactly what I want to do. I still feel the same. Anything I feel God's asking me to do, that's what I want to do. And so I got baptized. And it says in the book of Acts, the end of Acts 2, where Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, 37 to 39, it says these words. When the people heard this, heard the good news about Jesus and the power of the gospel, it says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent, that's become a follower of Jesus, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, that's for those people who are there. For your children, that's their children. For those who are afar off, that's those who live in other places maybe. Then he says, and for all whom the Lord our God will call, that's you. And me. And if you read through Acts, whenever the gospel is preached in a new place, it would seem that they do a checklist of those three things. They emphasize one more than the other sometimes in different occasions. But the preacher or the people pioneering seem to ask these three questions. Have you received Jesus as your saviour? Have you been baptised in water as a public declaration of your faith? Have you received the Holy Spirit? They're three simple foundations to the Christian life that are present again and again throughout the book of Acts. And I guess my question today to you is, have you? Have you received Jesus as your saviour? Have you been baptised in water as a believer, declaring your faith in Jesus? And have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if not, you get to. You can do that. That's what God invites us to do. Today we're starting a series called Revive. I looked up the word revive. What does it actually mean? The definition of the verb includes words like to restore to consciousness, to be revived, to regain life and consciousness and strength, to give new strength or energy. It's synonymous with words like reinvigorate, revitalize, refresh, energize, reinitiate, reanimate, resuscitate, brace, fortify, strengthen, rejuvenate, regenerate, renew, breathe new life into, enliven, stimulate, and freshen. Would you like the Holy Spirit to do that for you? Because if so, so does he. That's what he would love to do for you. And so we're thinking about the Holy Spirit. I was with a friend this week who, uh, Paul McConaughey, some of you know Paul, and uh, he was telling a story to a little group of us that he moved to America three years ago to take over a church. And when he got to the church, he realized this church doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in praying for the sick and prophecy and all of those things. He arrived and suddenly discovered this. And so he thought, right, we need to begin to address this. 
And so he, he said the lovely thing was they were like the Bereans in Scripture. It says that the Bereans examined the Scriptures to see if what was being taught to them was true. And if it was true, they accepted it. So we began to teach about healing, about prophecy, about the gift of tongues, words of knowledge, uh, miraculous power of the gospel still available today. And the church there began to search the scriptures and went on a journey. And suddenly now they're seeing prophecy, they're seeing healing, they're seeing God move through his spirit. And he told us a story to illustrate that. We had a little video of some of the teenagers being used by God in their high school, just giving testimonies of what God's doing through them as they're planting missional communities in their high schools. And he told us the story of one gentleman who'd been along to one of the services, and um, he had secondary terminal cancer. So the doctors had basically, it was sort of palliative care, and not end of life yet, but it was that sense of, you're not going to get better, this in the end is going to take your life. And he said there are a group of them, he came forward for prayer for healing, so it was like, right, let's get a group of people praying here. And about five or six of them stood around him for about 40 minutes and prayed over him for healing. This was on the weekend. He went for his, je- his checkup on the Tuesday, and the result from the checkup was that there was not a trace of cancer in his body at all. The doctors said it was a spontaneous instantaneous remission. I think you call that a healing. A spontaneous, instantaneous remission. Two days after being prayed for for healing. People say, oh, it's just a coincidence. Well, I've noticed this. When we pray, more coincidences happen. So if you'd like some good coincidences... I invite you to get prayer. The disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They knew loads about him. They knew loads about making disciples. They'd seen signs and wonders. They'd heard Jesus teaching the Bible. They were witnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus. On numerous occasions, they had had meals with the resurrected Jesus. You would think that's enough. But Jesus tells them, well, let's read it, Acts 1, 4 and 5, then verse 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming. You've had all of this great teaching. You've had all of these great experiences. You've seen all of these miraculous things. But you need to be filled with God the Holy Spirit if you're going to stand any chance of living the life I'm going to invite you to live. Now, you might know a lot about the Bible And you might have some amazing life experience. But I'm guessing you've not walked for three years physically with Jesus. I'm guessing you've not had dinner with the resurrected Jesus or been a witness to the cross and resurrection. So the scope for growth. They needed the fullness of the Spirit. So do we.
Acts 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, 120 of them that were there. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he'd raised from the dead, and 120 were there. That means 380, maths were beginners here, 320 weren't there. 120. Suddenly, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them speaking in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. We all hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you living in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And the passage goes on. Suddenly, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There are suddenly moments in Scripture. They're part of a process, but you're suddenly in a new place. They were invited to come and seek God. Come, come, Jesus said, just wait in Jerusalem. And they waited. They waited quite a while. They had leadership issues to resolve. Judas was gone. They had relational issues to get right. Some people had denied Jesus and had been reinstated. Let's process this. They needed to pray together and seek God and to obey and to be courageous, to wait in the city that had killed Jesus for the Spirit. And 380 didn't wait. This process is taking too long. I need to get on with stuff. I've got places to be and things to do. But 120 waited, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which transformed everything. A suddenly moment as part of a process. If God's invited you into a process, and you've not had your suddenly moment yet, don't walk away, it's coming. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God, the Holy Spirit... And the Father, God the Holy Spirit reveals the Father and the Son to us. He gives us power for mission and ministry. He helps us to know who we are. And he provides us with all that we need. We need the Holy Spirit. He helps us to know who we are, what we should do, and how we should do it. God the Father and God the Son want us to be filled with God the Holy Spirit. 
How do I know that? Because the Bible says so. You see, we've got to take all of our preconceptions, all of our ideas, and flow them through the filter of the Scriptures and say, what does Scripture actually say about this? What does it say? It says in Luke 9 verses, Luke 11, verses 9 to 13, these words, Jesus is speaking. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone, for everyone, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened for. For which of your you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That seems quite categorical to me. Everyone, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I invite you, as the scripture invites you, to seek, ask and knock. Because we have a Father who is willing to give us the Holy Spirit. Some people are afraid of being filled with the Holy Spirit. They say, well, I might be deceived. You know, I might, I might ask God to be filled, filling me with the Holy Spirit, but I might, I might have a deceptive experience. So you're telling me that you believe that if you pray to God the Father for something that God the Father says through Scripture he wants to give you, we have an enemy, the devil, who is so powerful that he can intercept your prayer, push God out of the way, push back the Holy Spirit, and drop a deception in instead. I think we need to have more faith in God's ability to bless us than Satan's ability to deceive us. We need to have more faith in God's ability to bless us than Satan's ability to deceive us. We have an enemy. And if we're going to wander away from Scripture, then we're in danger. But if we're saying things that are in line with the Scriptures and we're asking for God to give us things that are in line with the Scriptures, we can be confident that our Father is powerful enough to answer the prayers we ask of Him. Some people worry saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're putting the cart before the horse. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for a holy life. He is the power to live a holy life. If you want to live God's way in order to earn the presence of God, that's called religion. But if you want to encounter God so that you can live God's way, that's called relationship. We're in a relationship with Jesus. The passage I read earlier then spoke about the gift of tongues, the New Testament gift of tongues, speaking in other languages. 
And let me say straight away some things to give you a bigger context for this. Speaking in tongues. Not all Christians speak in tongues. It is not the mark of being a super Christian. Nor is it the only mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as first class and second class Christians. However, it seems in the New Testament that it was a common experience amongst believers to be filled with the Spirit and to speak with tongues. Why? Why is this of any benefit? 1 Corinthians 13, which is the how-to chapter of spiritual gifts. So, when the book of Corinthians, all New Testament books were written, there were no chapters, there were books. You have 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 14, spiritual gifts, and sandwiched right in the middle, 1 Corinthians 13, the how-to chapter of spiritual gifts. In other words, if you're not moving in love and using these gifts, it's of no value. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? If I speak with human and angelic tongues, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Now that's a passage that's often read at weddings, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, that's the wedding passage. It's the one about love. And we always have that where it's a lovely passage to read at weddings. But it's an instruction passage about the gifts of the Spirit, actually, and living for Jesus. Did you notice there were two types of tongues mentioned in that verse? The tongues of men and the tongues of angels. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, language is known to humanity, language is not known to humanity. Sometimes God gives the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues and it's a known language. Our friend Eldon Corsi uh, used to lead Kensington Temple. They had a pre-service prayer meeting uh, down in the basement of the church building on a Sunday morning. He went down one morning. There was a gentleman there who was just praying quietly in tongues uh, with others praying, lots of people praying at once. He was quietly praying in tongues. And someone came over to the gentleman afterwards and started to speak to him in Russian. He didn't understand a word that they were saying, but he'd been praising God in Russian. Didn't speak Russian. Well, he did, but he didn't know he spoke Russian. And he'd been praying, thanking God and praying in tongues, but clearly in Russian. We had a young lady stayed at our house two years ago. She was a missionary with Abby and Manu in uh, Brazil. And she went out to Brazil as an American young lady, didn't speak any Portuguese, and one day went to be prayed for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And her story... Um, it's interesting, isn't it? You, you hear these stories. It's always about someone that someone knows who someone knows, but no one really knows. But when you've had them in your house and you're talking to someone who it's really them and it's like, yes, this happened to me. They were pray- she was prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit and she could suddenly speak Portuguese. In fact, for two days, she could only speak Portuguese. She couldn't speak English. And then after two days, English came back again and she's now bilingual. Calm down. <laughs> I think that's pretty amazing. Especially if you're in a country where you're a missionary and they speak Portuguese. Now, is that always the case? No. 
Often we speak a language and no one knows what you're saying because you're speaking in the tongues of angels, not the tongues of men. You say, well, this sounds a bit far out. Listen, there are scientists today who talk about black holes, quark theory, um, parallel universe theories, and it's all absolutely fine. That's fine. You can have that. But if we talk about a supernatural God who has, who has supernatural beings called angels, you're like, hang on a minute. Now, which worldview are we living in? Because I'm living in the Bible one. So more often than not, speaking in tongues is the tongue of angels. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For those who speak in tongues don't speak to people, they speak to God. What do we call speaking to God? Prayer. So there's a prayer language that God gives us to help us, because we're limited in our language. Do, do you not find sometimes when you hear some horrendous thing come to you for prayer that you think, I just don't know where to begin? You know, they say that Winston Churchill had the largest vocabulary in modern times of any English person, vast vocabulary, but even his would be limited. Do you not find that there are times when you want to say things to God and you think, I've just run out of how to express this. That's where the gift of tongues can help. Or in worship, when you've said, praise you, Jesus, and thank you, Lord, and you're wonderful, you're magnificent, you're glorious, you're splendid, you're above all. And, but after a while, you just there's more to be said, but there are no words left to say it. And so the gift of tongues is helpful. It talks about singing in tongues and speaking in tongues. Our language is so... Limited. That we don't have a word that's the opposite of fragile. Have you noticed that? We don't have a word. You say, oh yes we do, robust. No, that's not true. That's not the opposite of fragile. Fragile is you break something and it's worse. What is the word for when you break something and it's stronger? There isn't one. There isn't a word for that. There are concepts we want to express that there are no words for in our language. Everybody's limited by it, so God wants to help us. Sometimes we don't know how to pray, but God does and he guides us. When you speak in tongues, let me be clear, you're not in a trance. God is not suddenly working your uh, voice box and you have no control. You can stop and start when you want to. So when people say, oh, I just couldn't, you can. Yes you, yes, you can. You can stop and you can start when you want to. It's a beneficial thing. So the Corinthians had got a bit carried away. They were very excited about the gift of tongues. And so they thought, why don't we do, like, why don't we do all of our messages in tongues? It'd be good, wouldn't it? So that we'll, we'll stand up and we'll just, we'll just speak in tongues from the front. And people will be amazed. And Paul says, don't be so silly. It's better to speak five words that someone can understand than 50,000 words they can't understand. So if you're going to give a message in tongues, get someone to interpret so that the church can be built up. So individual praying in tongues, and you might be in a big prayer meeting or praying, you have people next to you speaking in tongues or worshipping in tongues. That's okay because they're not addressing us, they're addressing God. But if you stand at the front and say, God wants to speak to you, and you begin to speak in a language that no one understands... There must be an interpretation because it's to build us up. 
These are just some how-tos that the scripture gives us. It's, like, it's a great gift, but here's some really helpful frameworks so you can enjoy it and benefit from it. Because when you speak in tongues, you build yourself up. Because what you're doing is you're praying into things you don't even know need praying into. And then God begins to bring breakthroughs you didn't know you needed to have. And suddenly you feel more free. Who knew? God. It's all the gift of tongues. Paul says, the Apostle Paul... He's done this sort of corrective with them. But then he says to them, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says, I'm setting some parameters, but I want you to know this. In my personal life, in my life with God, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Because he knew the connection with God that that was giving him, that sense of expression was so powerful. I know for me, I find that so helpful. I spend a lot of time praying in English but also praying in tongues because it helps me to have that sense of breakthrough that God wants to give. The key is, how do we receive the Spirit? How do we receive the gifts of the Spirit? We just ask and we receive by faith because they're gifts. He is God with us. As I draw to a close, I remember the person praying with me to be filled with the Spirit, and I think they kind of wanted me to speak in tongues. And as I say, I I didn't, and I'd never heard anybody, but he was saying, just praise God, just open your mouth, and God will fill it. And that that wasn't helpful to me, because I was just sat with my mouth open, thinking, nothing's happening here. Just praise God, and if he gives you a language, use it, and if he doesn't, use English. The key is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we've emphasized one gift today because I think sometimes we, we don't explain it and you come into a service and you hear people speaking in tongues in worship and stuff like that and you think, what? I remember being in, in the church where I became a Christian and I had been baptized in the Spirit, uh, where I, I went after I'd become a Christian, went along there and I used to worship God. I remember speaking in tongues during the service and uh, Brian, who started coming to the church here, he's not here this morning, the lad with the... With a, with a bald head, he gave his uh, prophecy last week. I remember him coming to me after one of the services, and he was convinced I was Welsh. <laughs> He's been speaking in Welsh in the prayer meeting. Um, and so I thought it would be helpful to give a framework and explanation of what is this and what is it not. And to say, you can ask for this gift, and God could give it to you, and it could be really helpful. The Christian faith is not merely an intellectual pursuit, though it involves our intellect. It's not merely a set of beliefs, though of course it's vital that we believe the truth. Christianity, in essence, is a relationship. And the scripture, in large part, is description of encounter and relationship with God that people had in their journey. We can encounter God. I know about certain people. I've never met them. I know about, um, I don't know, Howard Kendall. I know about Howard Kendall. He was an Everton manager when Everton were good. Um, He was a great midfield player. Um, He was quite outgoing and gregarious. 
He had issues in his life that he struggled with, but he overcame. I know a lot about him. Never met the man. Never met the man. You can know a lot about people, but you never met them. Maybe your favorite celebrity or personality. God's not like that. God is. You can know a lot about him and you can meet him. You know when they said, don't meet your heroes because you might be disappointed? Meet this one. Because he will definitely not disappoint you. I mean, it will be even greater than the stuff you know about him.